Welcome to Keep Calm and Homeschool On. Today, you guys, I am like giddy with excitement because I have the honor and the privilege to talk to Julie Bogart, who is one of the most inspirational women that I have ever met. I just find everything that she does, every word that she speaks, every podcast episode and blog post that she does and video that I watch, it just lifts me up. It gives me permission to make my homeschool what I want it to be. And it has been so influential in making my my homeschool and and building my own philosophies of education. So if you've wondered where I get a lot of my ideas and my inspiration from, it really is. A lot of it has come from Julie. So I am just so excited to have her join us. If you have not heard of her before, if you have not heard of Brave Writer, then this is the time. This is the moment. And you're going to get to hear all about her brand new book, The Brave Learner. And stay tuned because at the end, there's an amazing free 90 page download that is available for you guys that you're going to want to hear about. So here we go. Grab yourself something hot and let's get started. You guys, I am so excited to have Julie Bogart with us today. She is such an inspiration to me and has really helped shape um, our family and our homeschool and our philosophies and who we are today. A lot of that has come from everything that she does, her videos, her podcast episodes, um, just things that I've watched, things that I've read, uh, the writer's jungle. I mean, you guys know that has been hugely, hugely influential in my own philosophies of education and, and not just through writing, but through everything that I do through all of my subjects. I've implemented a lot of those same philosophies into my actual approach for homeschooling. So um, I'm so excited to have you here with us, Julie, and to hear your thoughts because you have just launched a brand new book, The Brave Learner, which we are so excited about. And I've just been able to open up and look at for myself. And I just can't wait to help people get to know a little bit about it. So welcome. (laughs) Thank you, Rebecca. Oh my goodness. So glad to be here. You are such a light on the internet. I love what you do for homeschoolers. So it's great to be here. Awesome. All right. So maybe tell us a little bit before we get started, for those of you that do not know who Julie is, about who you are, your own experience and journey with homeschooling, how many kids you have, how long you homeschool, that kind of stuff. That's great. So I lucked out Early in my life, back in 1984, before most of you were born, (laughs) I was living abroad and a friend of my then boyfriend, who eventually became my husband, came up to me and he said, Julie, uh, do you plan to homeschool your children? And I thought, home, school, like those words together, what is that? So I said to Willie, "Uh, what's home, school? And he said, oh, and then he launched into this long explanation of how we were going to subvert the government and uh, raise the next generation to be the lights of the world. It was really quite an inspiring uh, and very passionate defense of home education. But the part that really grabbed my attention is he said you could tailor make education to your children and it would promote family bonding. Now, I wasn't even engaged yet, so I didn't have children of my own. They were a long way away from me at that point. But in that moment, I caught a vision for something that I knew would appeal to me. And so I said, hey, yeah, maybe I will homeschool. And he turned to my then boyfriend, John, and he just said, John, she's all right. She's going to homeschool your kids. (laughs) And John looked at him like, okay. (laughs) 
So my relationship with homeschool started before I even had children. I started reading books on it. I met other families who homeschooled. We lived abroad. So many of those expatriate families chose to home educate because that seemed like a way to provide them with the kind of education they felt good about. By the time I started, I was actually back in the States. Noah was kindergarten age, and literally it never even occurred to me to put him in school. By then, I was so sold on the methods and ideas of homeschooling that we just naturally, seamlessly continued. So I have five children. I homeschooled for 17 years full-time. I have some kids that did part-time enrollment at high school, some who did full, some who did none. And I, over those years, rifled through so many philosophies of education. I don't know about you, Rebecca, but I was sort of a homeschool philosophy junkie. Did that happen to you too? <laughs> just a little bit, just a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I, I just found myself really curious about learning, about what makes the magical transaction occur. I wasn't interested in just getting through or getting done. I wanted to see the lights go on. I wanted to know that my child had formed a meaningful connection to the subjects that we were interested in. So over and over, I kept reinventing homeschool. I have a joke that we reinvented every year. You know, your kids go up a grade, they're a different age, you get bored, they get bored. So there's a lot of reinvention and experimentation in homeschool. Yes. And when I wrote this book, The Brave Learner, that's the experience I wanted to capture. What does it look like to be detective mom? You know, to be the person who's looking at how your kids are growing up and learning and what you hope they will get from their educations. And then that mysterious blend that is uniquely tailored to your family. What does that look like? Yeah. That's awesome. So when you were sitting and considering this book, because again, for those of you that don't know Julie, she is author of many different things. She's got uh, The Writer's Jungle. She's got Brave Writer um, curriculum. She's got you know tons of stuff that she does. So when you were looking at this book, who was your primary audience? Who were you thinking of? And kind of what's your why behind, behind it? That's a great question. So when I think about home education over the last 40 or 50 years, I picture families in their homes or apartments off stage. You know, there's like the discussion about education out in the world, in magazines, at educational conferences, but homeschoolers are off stage. They've got this little laboratory called their house. <laughs> they have these test tubes, which are their kids, and they're adding all these ingredients to see what happens. And then they're dutifully taking notes and figuring it out. They use their vacation time to go to conferences to get better at homeschooling. Like, these are committed human beings. They don't go to the beach. They go, you know, to Atlanta when it's the hottest time of the year and listen to people in stuffy buildings talk about learning. So homeschoolers have been identifying the properties of learning for about 40 or 50 years. And they've been doing it in their own communities. One of the goals of writing this book for me was to take those insights, package them in such a way that we're making our contribution back to the story of education. I want to say to teachers, to parents, to people who use traditional schooling methods, hey, guess what we learned? Guess what's been going on for the last 40 years? Our kids are doing great. They're like you, Rebecca, running amazing businesses. They are you know, serving in the government. They've got jobs and careers. Yeah. These home education principles 
are not separate from traditional schooling. On the contrary, they are the essential insights that ought to be driving the conversation of education globally, but at least here in the United States where I live. So that was like one mission. It was to take the message of home education, find a secular publisher, somebody who had the biggest audience possible, and then pump out that information, not only for our home education community, but for curious parents, you know, homeschool curious, <laughs> the yep. after-schoolers, the parents who are frustrated that their kids won't just do their homework. So that was the first audience. And then the second, of course, are all those beloved homeschoolers that I've gotten to know over the last 20 years who've maybe applied some of the methods I've suggested for writing. And they're like, but how does this look for the rest of the curriculum? And why am I hitting my head against the wall of my child's indifference or resistance? Or why does it work great with one child, but then this other child, we're just not connecting? I wanted to bring together practices, not just more theory, not more philosophy, not more sort of uh, rosy mottos and slogans about how wonderful it is to be home with our kids. I was looking for the rubber meets the road kind of practical solutions that help relieve us of the stress and responsibility. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, I've only read two chapters so far because literally it was just released, you guys. But um, one of the things that I have been so struck by is exactly that, that it is, it is so different than most homeschool books that are out there. I mean, I have so many. I have a shelf filled with homeschool resources, support books for mom to like teach you about different philosophies. And the thing is, is that I'm not actually super committed to reading these books. I start and I don't actually finish them. They kind of sit on my shelf and collect dust. Part of the reason for that is because they, they seem to be full of great philosophies, but they either don't give me the tools to apply that to my life or they feel unattainable to me. And one mm. of the things I noticed with your book is that even from the very first chapter, not only did that seem very attainable to me, it gave me the inspiration to want to actually put your book down and go and, and put that into practice and, and to wow. try it out and to brainstorm. And it's not just a list of like, you need to do this in order to see this kind of results in your family. That's what makes it so unique. It is not a, a recipe for success. It is a bunch of different ideas and giving you the tools and inspiration to research for your own family what might work so that you don't have to be a slave to a, a set of rules or a set of um, philosophies that you need to apply. Instead, you have the tools to now research and discover these for yourself because we're all so unique. So What a beautiful summary. It, it's very gratifying, Rebecca, to hear you describe back to me how you understand my book. And it gives me great comfort to know that my aim was achieved. Like that is the goal. When I think about home education, the key word I want to offer to all homeschooling parents is experimentation. We are too worried about getting things right and we're not open enough to trying something and seeing what happens and then revising and adapting based on those results. In fact, in so many homeschooling communities, and believe me, I've been in <laughs> so many over the years. I mean, the first people through the doors of the internet in 1995 were homeschoolers. We were starved for connection. <laughs> so I've been having these conversations for over 25 years. And one of the things that I noticed is there's a lot of haggling over perfectionism. 
Hmm. Like, have I applied the philosophy perfectly? If my result isn't the one that I was promised, it must be that I didn't do it right. It must be that there's a way to more stringently apply the philosophy. But over time, what I discovered is that many philosophies contributed to my understanding of what learning actually felt and looked like. Not only that, sometimes my best learning moments with my kids looked almost nothing like schooling and didn't match any of that criteria. It was like it was sourced from within, from the family culture, from the dynamic of our connection, from the ideas and uh, interests that preoccupied us. And that's when I started to recognize, oh, there are features of learning going on here that don't really have anything to do with a educational model. Hmm. Yeah. So when I was kind of, I mean, the first, I have to, I have to mention it because I'm going to talk to you guys about chapter two, but, but of course I started with chapter one (laughs) and chapter one is, it just pulls you right in because it is about this enchantment and, and about creating this, this learning space that is, is free a free learning space, a free artist space, actually, where it's just full of tools and resources. And essentially, what I mean, this is exactly what I see through your book, because I see many different philosophies um, built in that I myself, I'm the same way, as I've researched all these different things. In the beginning, when I researched different homeschool philosophies and styles, I thought, this is the one. Right. Charlotte Mason. For me, it was Charlotte Mason. This is the one. This is the one that has it. But over time, I've thought, man, Montessori or unschooling, the idea of strewing is is golden. Like that, there's something in that. There are things in unschooling that are there, they've got something there. And and you can see that brought into your book in the very first chapter. Because really, what this this art table is, is strewing. It's let's create something where we have strewn these materials all throughout and we just left it there. We've created a space that we're we're alternating every month. There's always something new and surprising that you're just gonna walk through. The kids can't even they can't stop. Like they're not going to be able to avoid that. They're going to be pulled in on their own without you forcing them because you've created that. So there's many different philosophies and inspiration built within your book that is not just tied, even in your own book, it's not tied to one specific thing. It is a feast and I love it. I love it. Thank you. So, okay, so chapter two, I'm just going to, what I'm going to do, you guys, is give you a little insight into maybe four different kind of sections or topics or ideas within her book to give you some ideas of of who it might, whether it's going to be a good fit for your family, whether this is a book you want to go get, which I feel like you're going to want to go get. Um, (laughs) So I'm going to get her just to talk about a few different things. And one of them is buckets versus bellows. And I would love to hear just, just a brief synopsis of what that is for you. Awesome. So I... Imagine the learning experience sort of like fire building. You know, we know the word spark, especially right now with Marie Kondo, what sparks joy. I think even that language, sparking joy, is a great language around learning, in fact. Hmm. What we're looking for in education is a spark, something that catches your attention and makes you want to follow it. We could summarize the learning transaction like this, being interested and curious enough to have the stamina to work through the challenges until mastery. So if you think about learning, too often we ask kids to give us their best attention for the least interesting parts of their day, right? We say, sit down, do this well, tell me you liked it, and it's not interesting at all. Yeah. Well, what about the idea of a spark? 
an imaginative moment. So in the book, I give an example of a little kid who loves playing an online game and he gets really good at it. And then he starts really being interested in the characters in this game. And he starts going on discussion boards where he's talking with friends about how to beat levels. And then all of a sudden he discovers that there is a whole fan fiction site where people write stories for the characters of this game. And he suddenly has a spark. It ignites his imagination. He thinks, I want to write a story. So he sits down and he just starts writing for these characters and he just lets it rip. He's not thinking about punctuation or grammar or spelling or organization. He's just immersed in the fiery experience of passion. So a parent now has a choice when they meet this little fiery fan fiction learner, writer. They can either direct a bellows at the fire by noticing the amazing narrative, his willingness and desire to write without an assignment, the fact that he filled up a whole page, that the characters are well-developed, that the story makes sense, and they could comment on that or join with him and ask to be read that story. That's the bellows. It's saying, I am overlooking missing capital letters, poor spelling, run-on sentences, jargon I don't understand, a story that has no end. It's overlooking the pieces that don't work yet because you're recognizing that a flame just got caught. So we get out the bellows and we blow on it. But what happens if you're the bucket of water bearing parent? Well, we've all done it. Me too. You look at it and you go, oh my gosh, she cannot spell. Where are her capital letters? I must be the worst homeschooling mother in the world. And instead of seeing this fire being built, you get this bucket of cold water and you come along and say, what happened to your capitals? Why all these run-on sentences? Don't you know how to spell because yet? That is the same thing as just dumping cold water right on the flame. And your kids at that moment will often slink away, not revisit writing again for a long time, tell you they don't really care, because what happened? The spark had started to come to life into a full roaring flame, and you doused it. So our task as parents is to get the bellows, to recognize that not all fires last forever. There will be a moment when it burns out and it goes just to warm coals even after talking with you, even after enthusiasm. Sometimes it's mysterious. The weather pattern shifts and your child stops doing the thing. But if you resist the temptation to pour cold water over it and you offer the bellows and you support the fire, they get to preserve the lasting memory of having been catalyzed into action by curiosity and their imaginations. And that teaches them how to hold on to a little kindling for future experiences. In learning. So are you telling us that kids are not naturally good writers? <laughs> Is this what I'm hearing? <laughs> we can't expect greatness from our kids when they're like seven years old? <laughs> you really can't. But weirdly, if you can get past the mechanics, as you so well know, Rebecca, mm -hmm. and you start paying attention to the voice of the writing, and we value that first, Eventually, they're more interested in improving the mechanics because now they want their thoughts to get out to an interested audience and for those to be distraction-free, good mechanics. But if we start by focusing on the mechanics, sometimes they never even know that the insights and ideas and imagined stories they have are worthy of the page. Yeah. So they keep them in. They don't share them. Yeah.
Yeah, exactly. And you guys, again, if you have never heard of Brave Writer or the Writer's Jungle um, or all of the different things that Julie does, this is one of the things that is brought in in such a core philosophy is it's the idea of, of utilizing narration and dictation, letting your kids, if they're not at the ability to write yet, where they're so bogged down with those mechanics that they, they don't have yet. They don't have those things yet. There is no, there's no kindling for them to even start a fire because they That's are right. bogged down with that. So for those kids that don't have those tools, you can start to reinforce those and build those within them. Let them develop their writer's voice, which is just their voice by you yes. writing for them and taking that pressure off because that is the key. And it's not just for writing. It is for all subjects. It's for learning in general. Yes. So, Oh, I love yeah. that you make that application. So we might understand that with writing, but what about math? Yeah. Uh, I have a son, my fourth child who had dysgraphia and he found just the act of holding a pencil and using it challenging. Well, guess what? That shows up in math. It's not just a writing problem of words. So there was a period of time where we did all of his math where I transcribed it. We were looking at the same problems. I was helping him borrow and carry and do the multiplication, but he was not moving the pencil. Interestingly, dysgraphia made him an expert at mental math. That mm. kid to this day can calculate faster than any of my five kids, and he's 24 now. And I think it's important for us to realize that sometimes what our kids are looking for is just the expert support you can provide. They're not trying to get away with something. They're not trying to get out of hard work. They're literally looking for an additional source of energy, some fuel for the fire so that they can actually accomplish the thing they want to accomplish. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. So another thing that, that is in there that sparked me anyways, it's, it's in the next chapter, I was kind of skimming through it and I'm like, ah, is the act of surprising your kids. And I would love to hear you uh, in your own words, just explain a little bit of, of what that might look like, bringing that mystery and surprise back into your homeschool. So when I talk about learning, I noticed when I reflected on my own experience with my children, that there were four properties that seemed to spark learning adventures. I call them the forces of enchantment. And the four forces are surprise, mystery, risk, and adventure. Surprise and mystery pair especially well with little kids where the whole world is brand new to them. Risk and adventure are awesome for teens and scary for parents, but equally <laughs> necessary. So when I think about surprise, surprise is that moment where you are off guard. You're suddenly drawn and you have to solve something about it. You know, like a surprise party. You're just coming home from the supermarket. You open the door. Why are all these people in the house? Yeah. Why are there banners and streamers? You are suddenly catalyzed into a new relationship with your environment because of something surprising. So when I looked at learning with my children, I thought about the ways that surprise shows up. You mentioned a lovely unschooling word, strewing, as a great example of that. What I used to do with my kids, a way that I strewed, was to create surprise periodically by clearing the coffee table. Hmm. So what I would do, the coffee table, right? Doesn't it house like empty pretzel bags, glasses <laughs> of empty water, the remote controls, six cards out of a deck that you couldn't find last week? Like it's a mess, right? Yeah. So once in a while, I would just come in, clear the whole thing off, and then I would put an item center stage on that coffee table. It might be a new deck of cards. It might be jacks or pickup sticks. It could be something like a video, now a DVD, 
we might put on the table something related to our history project that's just a curiosity, like why are all their why are their hedge clippings sitting all over the table? And then later I reveal, actually, we're going to talk about ancient Rome. Let's mm -hmm. make laurel reeds and put them on your heads while we read the book. The goal is to use the element of surprise to catalyze interest. Mm -hmm. We also put on that coffee table items that we expect our children to explore without our help. This yeah. is not about me teaching. It's about benign neglect. You know, a little indifference goes a long way in education. Put something out, allow your kids to notice it, discover it. When they come to you and say, what am I supposed to do with this? Keep washing the dish. I don't know, let me know what you think. I'll be over yeah. in a minute. Give them the opportunity to sort of explore and be curious and ask their own questions of the item. Um, one of my favorite examples of this was by my friend Dottie, who is famous for these art tables that I talk about in chapter one. One day, she said to me, Julie, I'm going to take sheets of paper after the kids are in bed and cut kidney bean-shaped holes in the middle and just leave them on the art table and see what happens. And I said, um, really? And she's like, yeah, you should try it. So I went home, the kids were all asleep, you know, it's like 11 p.m., they're finally all in bed, and I'm out there cutting these shapes into these big sheets of butcher paper, and I just left them on the table. We all went to bed. I woke up in the morning, started making breakfast, and my kids came out, and they immediately pick up these sheets of paper. They're like looking at them. They're putting their whole arms through the holes. They're putting them on their heads. <laughs> the next thing you know, they're just decorating the pages. One of my kids did a whole free write that just went around the shape of the kidney bean for, you know, eight or 10 sentences. Another one started gluing things. Someone else turned it into a hat. And I realized the power hmm. of that moment. They're not used to coloring on a page with a hole in the middle. So they had to reimagine art in that moment. That's what we're talking about with surprise. Helping your kids use their cognitive powers for something fresh that catches them off guard. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the things I feel like has been one of my core messages that I'm always saying is that you cannot force your child to be educated. No. You cannot force your child to learn. And sometimes the way that, that traditional, the way that we teach, the way that we expect our children to learn is read this and we want to see results from what you have read. But the thing is, is that we actually take away all creativity from that process. We yes. take away all of their own natural writer's voice, their own natural opinions and creativity and, and just that, that spark because we just tell them exactly what we want, exactly what we expect, and they better do it and fit that box. So when we can take that box away and give some of that freedom back to our kids, sometimes we'll even find they don't even know what to do with it because maybe it's been so structured that they're just caught off guard and it's like, I don't know, am I allowed to? And we even have to teach our kids. If we haven't been there, then we have to go through almost a season of teaching our kids that, yeah, we're going to think outside the box and you have to, you have to model it. So sometimes right. to just walk into something new like this is there's a step-by-step -step kind of process you need to do to, to help your kids, to model for your kids what it means to think outside the box. And one of the things in Writer's Jungle, I just have to bring up because I think this so applies is that, that, that for example, the things that probably spoke to me the most was that for my kids doing free write was, was such a out of the box thing because normally they were told you write what I want you to write in the way I want you to write it in this structure, in this format, and it better be good. And so all of a sudden for me to say, I want you to just write about anything. 
they were totally overwhelmed, especially my one son. He didn't know where to start. He's a perfectionist. You're not giving me a box, so I'm going to fail because I don't know your expectation. Because my entire philosophy, the way that I had approached education was that I give you the box and you fill it. And mm. so you had said that, you know, for, for some of those kids, you scrunch up the paper into a little ball and you open it up and you say, is this paper perfect? And, you know, he was shocked. He was shocked. He said, no, like that's garbage. What, what is that? And I said, just like this, I don't expect your writing to be perfect. You can write, you don't have to use, you know, punctuation. I don't care if there's capital letters. I just want to hear the amazing thoughts. And there was a shift. And the thing is, it wasn't just a shift in writing. It wasn't just a shift in that one son. It was a shift in me and my own understanding of, of what that meant of taking away that box. And I think that exactly that we can apply that to all elements of learning, not just writing or language arts. So I love it. Oh, that's fabulous. That's such a great story. Thanks for sharing that, Rebecca. Yeah. So the last thing that I kind of want to address, because I know that this is on a lot of our homeschool moms' hearts, is that a lot of us are worried about um, whether those expectations, like I said, that we put on our kids that we can't get out of because it's inside of us. Um, whether that's outside, you know, influences or just from our own experiences, but also just just that fear of is it enough? How do I know if it's enough? How strewing or an art table, or my kid making a hat on their head, in my head, I'm like, what can I show somebody that my kids did today? Like, I got nothing. We learned kind of, but you know what I mean? So how yes. in an environment like that, when you have that mar magic and that spark and everyone loves learning, but you feel like you have nothing to show for it? <laughs> oh, the best question ever. And literally, that's what my book is about. The Brave Learner is about how to actually quantify natural learning in your family so that it actually matches your goals, your academic goals, because all of us have them. It may be a secret you keep from yourself, <laughs> but you do have them. I've met how many unschoolers who look on the surface, super confident, but behind the scenes, they're still sort of looking to see, did knitting lead to trigonometry or not? Like they're wondering yeah. that question. So here's one of the tools in my book that I talk about. I talk about building what I call a continent of learning, where you put the experience, the interest, the activity in the center of a page, draw a little circle-ish thing around it, and you start looking at the school subjects that are adjacent. So let's say you put something like piano in the middle of the page. How is math expressed in piano? How can we start to make the connection between a core subject and something my child is affectionate toward. What are the mathematical principles or scientific principles we could study about piano? You know, with math, there's composition, musical notation, key signature, all that kind of stuff. Uh, for science, there is the physics of the pedals and studying vibrations and sound. And we can look at all of those chord systems. For history, we can look at the origin of the instrument and famous composers and start to tie our educations together. But often what I hear from parents is, yeah, but my kid, piano is easy. I feel good about piano. What about, you know, Phineas and Ferb or SpongeBob SquarePants? <laughs> the same principle applies. Someone had to have a master's level education to be hired as a comedy writer for a sitcom or a cartoon. There is an understanding of the history of literature, irony, humor, 
that paired with the story of cartooning, that paired with transmission through televisions, like we can start to see that literally everything can be taught through anything hmm. and anything can be used to teach everything. So each chapter in The Brave Learner, we build to a crescendo where I show you how to actually record those results in writing so that when you do meet that person at the end of the year who has to certify that your children went up one grade level, that's what I did when I was raising my kids, you actually have a portfolio ready to go that maximizes your children's affinities, but also corresponds to those school academic subjects that you long for them to learn. And let me go further. There is nothing wrong with some rote training. Like when I was learning to run a marathon, I had to run. Like I wasn't just watching movies about marathons. I wasn't just watching other people run marathons. I wasn't just reading about marathons. There is a part of it where I had to have the stamina to grow my ability to be a distance runner. Hmm. Well, I use that metaphor to help us start thinking about how to design what I call an interval training program for rote skill. How do we grow someone with the mechanics of writing and get their buy-in and not just do education to them, but help them build the stamina to see the challenge and actually want to execute the task? That's all in the book. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I'm hoping that at this point, you guys are thoroughly convinced that I really believe, <laughs> I honestly, I really believe that this is the kind of book that can change your homeschool. I think that if you are feeling like you are drowning, I feel like this is the kind of book that is a lifeline, that this is something that can, you can grab hold of that is going to give you not only, it's not a book that is going to make you feel bad about your homeschool. No. You know, even when you read Buckets and Bellows, like you're not going to be looking at that and thinking, oh, I'm a terrible mother. What am I going to do? Because we're hearing stories of how you, you know, oh, you yourself so those things and we yes. all struggle and there's permission to struggle and how can we find that inspiration and that motivation within ourselves to pull ourselves out of that and to be the kind of homeschool that we want it to be because you guys homeschooling can be so much more even more than you even imagine that it yes. can be. you you hope for greatness you hope that it's you know fun that people like it they get something out of it expect more because homeschooling is such a gift it can be such a gift. And this is the kind of book that you're going to read and you're going to be putting it down and running all around your house and changing up things and trying new things. And it's going to give you that inspiration to find that joy in your homeschool. Um, so anyways, we're very excited about it. One of the things that I just saw got released was your free companion guide. Tell us about that. Oh my gosh. So of course I wanted the book to be practical, but I also know that sometimes I read a book quickly and I have great desire to do the activities and I'll do like one or two and then the book goes back on my shelf and I almost forget that I read it or I forget what's in it. So I had this thought that it was really important to be in a community where you talk about it, but also to have sort of a hand-holding guide where you can kind of bullet journal your way through the book where we've given you all kinds of, you know, fun stuff too, little crafty boxes to write in and the repeat of the questions. All of the activities are represented in this 92-page guide, totally free, no strings attached. The goal of the guide is to help you execute the book. I'm hoping very much that you'll form your own little, you know, Sunday brunch or Saturday brunch gangs of women who go out together and have mimosas and read the book and study together. That's the idea. 
If you are interested in doing that with me, then join the Homeschool Alliance because we are going to study the book every month using the guide and I will lead us in a monthly webinar where we share notes and we yep. make this journey together. So what is the Homeschool Alliance? The Homeschool Alliance is my coaching community. It is on the bravewriter.com website. You can go to the homepage, scroll down and join. What we do every single month is I provide some kind of a reading, something related to learning, you know, sort of like grad school for homeschool. And then we discuss this reading on a discussion board, and then I do a webinar where we talk about it. I give like a fuller lecture. Like if you were in my class at college, you would have me teaching, and then we would work on those ideas in our families. We have four years worth of archived material, not just about the theory of learning, but actual, every single month, actual practices, things you can do related to extracurricular things like astronomy or how to read poetry or something about how to study history like a historian. So all of that is in there, and uh, it is a very rich dynamic community. So if you're looking for coaching support, we also give you um, feedback on your struggles. So you can post something like, you know, I'm in postpartum depression. I have six children. I can't get out of bed. How can I homeschool? And we're going to help you figure out how to do it. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great. So you guys, if you want any additional support, encouragement, I mean, Julie has tons of free resources yes. from you know her blog, her website, YouTube, and her podcast is gold. If you are not subscribed, you need to go and subscribe to it. Um, so just go to her website, go to bravewriter.com, go check out some of the different resources that are available. Go check out her book if you're interested and um, learn more about, you can learn more about the Homeschool Alliance on, on the website. Is that right? That's right. That's right. So you can go to thebravelearner.com to download the companion guide. There is also a link to the Homeschool Alliance on that page. So you can do both of those on thebravelearner.com. Perfect. Perfect. And all of these links are going to be included on the blog post. So if you need awesome. to actually click on the links, then you can go to homeschoolon.com and click on podcasts and you're going to see this episode with all of the relevant links there. And I'll make sure to include the link to the book and to the Homeschool Alliance and to the website and to my favorite stuff that Julie does. There's also online courses. If you're like, I love yes. these philosophies, but I can't, I can't do it. Like I just can't, I've got like 8 billion kids and you know, I'm drowning. <laughs> well, then you can have somebody else implement these same philosophies for your kids in an online environment with other kids and peer support. And it's just, it's awesome. So anyways, there's lots and lots and lots of stuff. So go check out the blog post. And otherwise, Julie, thank you so much for joining us and for writing a book that, that is, I believe, going to hugely impact the homeschool community at large and individual families and lives of children who are in these families that are going Yay. to be yeah, just experiencing a whole new level of learning in the months Yay. to come. <laughs> I can't wait. That's the whole point. <laughs> awesome. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rebecca. There you guys have it. I mean, Julie Bogart, one of the most inspirational people that I have ever met. I'm so excited that she was able to join me for today's podcast. I hope that it was encouraging and you got all sorts of different ideas and inspiration for your own homeschool. And like I said, any relevant links that we talked about today are going to be up on my blog at homeschoolon.com. Just click on the little podcast section in my menu and it will take you to my list of podcast episodes 
episodes. You can listen to any of my old ones there. You can click on today's and that's gonna give you all of the links that we talked about. So go check it out, go learn more. And if you have any questions or anyone else that you would like me to interview or you would like to hear from here on my podcast, then please take the time to send me a message and let me know about it. Also, you guys, if you like what you hear, if you like my podcast, you found it encouraging, I would love for you to subscribe. You'll get them automatically wherever you subscribe to me and or leave a review. I would love to hear your thoughts, what you like, what you don't like, what could maybe be changed. And I would just love to hear your feedback. So thank you so much for taking the time to just sit down and chat with Julie and I, and I hope that you have an amazing homeschool week.